We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. It's another brilliant Thursday. <laughs> Steve Bruce has gone. It's Wednesday. I, is it? Yeah. I've been saying all day. Fuck's sake, I've been on Sky <laughs> and said it's it's you know you know what it is. I saw a tweet earlier saying it's two weeks since the new owners came in. I've just assumed Thursday. Mm. Fucking hell. <laughs> anyway, forget about that. It's not about me. As Steve Bruce would say, it's not about me then talk about himself relentlessly. But we're going to talk about Steve Bruce tonight. We're going to talk about Steve Bruce is gone. He is no longer the Newcastle United manager. I'm buzzing. I've got Charlotte Robson, Simon Campbell, and later on in this show, the Bruce Slayer, Craig Hope himself, <laughs> is going to be along to talk about this, what it means, what it means for him, how it's been, all of that. So thank you for tuning in to the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. You can, of course, if you want to support us on Patreon, £5.50 per month for about 25 extra of these shows into your ears it keeps this show free and we would love to have you along if you've never considered it before or you've been putting off bruce is gone ashley's gone if you're not going to do it now um right let's talk about steve bruce leaving newcastle united the news came through today at around 10 a.m i think or something like that pete davy of true faith podcast was the first to get it in bruce is gone in capital letters and how does it make us feel, Sai, you've been the most critical of Bruce right from the start. You gave up your season ticket because of Steve Bruce. Tell the listeners right now and the viewers on YouTube how this makes you feel. This, for me, is bigger bigger news than than the takeover. And I know in the grand scheme of things over the next 10 years, we won't be looking back and thinking the day it all changed was when Bruce left. But for me, it, it's it's the start of... It starts now. Last week was was brilliant and everyone was dead excited but the, the Bruce was still the manager and then we had another Bruce game on, on Sunday and it was all pretty much the same and it started to have a very uh, familiar feeling so this this is the real start now the real start of the change and I'm I'm so buzzing yes you're right I've been the most critical of him and rightly so um I, I hate him <laughs> I've never hated a Newcastle manager so much and we've been through Pardew we've been through John Carver you know we've had Sooness we've had Allardyce we've had I mean I was probably a bit too young to really get a massive hatred for the likes of Hullet and Dalglish, but I still understood that they were bad for Newcastle. Um, th- this, this has been totally different for me, and I don't know if it's the, the wearing down of the of the 13 years that preceded with Mike Ashley, but the just the the how I felt about Newcastle, I, I think I said just before the, the, the TakeOver podcast last week that I'd pretty much washed my hands in Newcastle. I'd stopped even trying to watch the games on TV. I'd really stopped. And that was more to do with Bruce than it was to do with the, the wider picture because he was the embodiment of how bad it had become. So this is a huge, huge day for me. Same. So excited. So happy. Just can't stop smiling. 
it does feel it it feels like a renewed um excitement after after the takeover that was like one thing and then and then as I say is the match was just so crap and and you just thought oh god like they don't have a they it was it's very clear they don't have a replacement lined up we we know that now because he's gone and they don't um so and people start saying this is a disaster this is already a bad start and stuff and I really didn't want it to be a bad start so I'm so so happy he's gone I'm just so happy Sai's right and and to sort of to sort of add to his point of that it's the embodiment of of everything bad it is I spoke to somebody today who was like so you've you've you know I haven't really liked him from the beginning. Well, no, because Steve Bruce doesn't represent any kind of ambition. He doesn't represent any kind of forward thinking. He doesn't represent any kind of ascension for our team. And that typified the Mike Ashley era for me. So for him to be gone, even though there are still elements of the Mike Ashley era still sort of squirreled away in our club, I imagine more changes coming. But for him to be gone, it's just this this beacon um of it all it's just it's just out of the club now and we can look forward to to change and to hopefully not being relegated that's the thing isn't it there is much put at the door of Newcastle United fans at the minute much and we're going to talk about that a little bit later but all I want is for Newcastle not to be shit don't have to be class we don't have to win the league be nice but we don't have to i'm not like i'm not going to be a fan i'm not going to go to brighton away i'm not going to do these things I'm not going to do these podcasts unless we're brilliant i just don't want it to be shit and under steve bruce for a long time we've been really 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 shit <laughs> and that's that's the beautiful thing about this is now once again there is possibility we don't know who the next manager is going to be we don't know how graham jones is going to get on on saturday against crystal palace but there's a possibility of something different than what we have seen and what we have seen we have seen time and time and time again Sick of watching the same performances, the same mistakes, the same formations, the same bad team selections, the same lack of intensity, the same lack of energy, the same lack of fitness, the fundamentals of football, of sport, we have been lacking. And the team finds itself in a bad position, 19th in the Premier League, three points from eight games. If, if Newcastle should lose this weekend and, and, and Leeds pick up a point against Wolves and home, we'll be adrift already in the bottom three Welcome to Newcastle United for the new manager. Hopefully that won't happen, but like I said, it will be so interesting. And, and interesting, I believe, is the right word. Now, because under Bruce, it was stale. It was Bruce v. the fans, fans v. Bruce, fans v. the club, club v. fans, Bruce v. the players, players v. the club, Charlotte. It's sort of, sorry to butt in, um, yes, it's, it's, it's a terrible indictment of a manager's reign that the most interesting part of part of the week is is press conference in case he says something stupid or in case he says something like um well just stupid really it was just mostly just stupid stuff wasn't it or or, or he gets incendiary or he gets like jabby at the at the journalist that was the part of the week that I was like well this is the most sort of excitement I'm going to get because the football's going to be terrible and we're going to lose so that's uh, and and that's not how it should be yeah and and we look ahead and you can look ahead now because under Steve Bruce, I was constantly looking back. You were looking back at the last game. You were looking back at the last catastrophe, back at the last press conference and worrying about what was what was to come. What what there is now, like I said, is possibility and all of a sudden Newcastle United are very, very interesting. And Newcastle United, by the way, compare the reaction at Newcastle United today to when um, the lad at Watford was sacked. I don't need to apologise about not knowing his name because Watford don't care. <laughs> But like, look, look at the reaction. Cisco? 
Yeah, Cisco, Cisco something. Yeah. Cisco M. Munoz? Um, yeah, probably. Okay. Um, thank you. If you look at the reaction to when he was sacked, and I know Watford sacked their managers a lot, the reaction today, this this hasn't just been on um, Five Live and Sky Sports. This has been on, like, mainstream media. Steve Bruce has gone. It's like, to me, it's bad football team sacks manager. It isn't necessarily news, but for some reason, this is massive news. And I think the reason for that is everything we've talked about so far, it's bundled into this idea that Newcastle United are back, and I feel a lot of resentment towards that that principle. But we're going to talk about that later in the show. Right now, I want to talk about what we're going to do, what we're going to do as fans, what the people watching, what the people are listening, how they're feeling, what they're going to do, how they're going to re-engage with Newcastle United. So I start with you. Does this make you want to go to the match anymore now Bruce is gone? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I'm excited to go to St. James's Park. And again, it's the... We, we talked about it on the... On the Takeover part. I stopped going on about that now, but it's 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 very much the same thing. It's the we are no longer predictable. We are no longer going to go to a game pretty much knowing exactly how it's going to play out. We don't know that it's going to be better. Uh, certainly not immediately. You know, we've got a lot of games to play before the transfer window. We've got we don't know what what Jones is going to be able to get out the team this weekend. We don't know how soon a new manager will be able to put a stamp on the team. Um, who have literally not trained properly for for months now, so there's a lot of work to do to to turn it round. But going into a game without expecting a terrible formation, without expecting players all over the shop, without expecting downing tools when when things start to go badly and it, it, it just falling bits and the players looking lost, you know that there'll be there'll be there'll be a bounce, there'll be something, there'll be a reason to go at the games again. So that's that's massive for me. Um, obviously, I felt this way the entire time and. I, I think you were about to touch on it, Charlotte, was this this idea that he wasn't right for the job. And we all know that he wasn't right for the job. But he he, he had plenty of opportunities to, to change that. I think if you go back to his first season, by Christmas, we were we were about ninth, I think, going into Christmas. We just beat Palace. Um, and we were, you know, I, I was ready to be proven wrong by Bruce. I really wanted that to be the case so that I could just enjoy football. Um, but no, we went, we were terrible again for... <laughs> For, for several weeks. Yes, so um, Bruce has had plenty of chances where he could have had a clean slate. He had, he's had the pandemic. He's had no fans in stadiums. He's had good runs towards the end of the season. Like I say, he was he was top top 10 at Christmas in his first season. He had plenty of opportunities to build on, on the form he'd put together and he managed to fuck it every single time. Finished last season quite strongly, albeit in some quite easy games. But, you know, he had the chance to take momentum into a new season with fans back in the stadium. He should have been working relentlessly all summer to get those first three games right. And then he might have stood a chance of takeover or no takeover, having a having a nice season, but he didn't. He fucked that as well. So, and I, I just, it was so predictable each time he had the chance. He just, he, he's just not, he's not a good manager. He's not a good manager. That's what it comes back to. Like, regardless of the takeover, he should have been sacked. If we just take the takeover completely out of the equation, everything we've said so far, he, he, he was long overdue this sacking that of the, from the job he never should have had. So, <laughs> what was the question? Will you go on back? Yes, I'm definitely going back. <laughs> I can't really extend on what you said there. I think you've covered it very well. So what I'm going to say is we'll move towards the end of part one of this podcast. There might be some adverts when they're supposed to come in this week. Who knows? It's an exciting adventure for us all. Um, you can forgive Bruce, or I'd like to think you can forgive Bruce for not being good enough. It's not his fault he's got the job. It's not his fault he's paid all the money. It's not his fault no one else would take it. It's not his fault he's from Newcastle. It's not his fault Mike Ashley's a cunt. I I hope everyone can agree with that, all right? But what, what I can't forgive is that Steve Bruce appears to be a lazy man. 
what I can't forgive is seven days off out of the last 11. What I can't forgive is that the team seemed to be, in the age of professionalism at this level, the team are unfit, that the team look lethargic, that the team are disorganised. I can't forgive the fact that Carl Darlow find out, found out from the press that he was being dropped for a game. I think it was Wolves earlier this season at home. You know, I can't forgive that Mike um, Matt Ritchie called Bruce a coward and most of the players seem to agree with Bruce. These aren't the actions, not just of a good manager, but this kind of nice guy narrative that has been thrust at me today by sections of the media and therefore at us all. I can't forgive that. And this is why there is this dislike. And there's there's little things over the last 18 months. And listen, Steve Bruce has been sacked because the team are shit. That's it. You know, his relationship with fans, his attitude towards journalists, they're all disgraceful and shocking. Unforgivable for me. That's not why he's been sacked. He's been sacked because his team are very, very bad. And the new owners, like Cy correctly says, gave him a shot on Sunday. Even if you, you would argue that they were going to sack him anyway, if Newcastle had turned out 1-3-1 and played the game of their lives, I think it would have been very hard to sack Steve Bruce. So he's had a chance, albeit a limited one of new owners. But this was the chance of his life. He will never get a bigger job as this. He will never take as big a job. He has never been at as big a club before. He will never been at as big a club again. And for him in his exit interview almost with Luke Edwards today in the Telegraph to say it's not nice when people and fans have wanted me to fail from the start. He was never mentally tough enough for this job in this position. Well, that's exactly what I was saying. I think, yes, I'm probably in the... I I felt like I was in the minority at the start of his tenure. Yes, lots of people, you you could argue 10,000 people gave up their tickets, but enough, enough people were still willing to go to games, maybe on a more ad hoc basis. More people still wanted the club to do well. Nobody wanted us to fail. And I think that's, I just think that's a lie. Nobody wanted him to lose. I didn't want to lose, to watch Newcastle lose games. That's just not true. And as we've, we've covered there several, in several capacities, he had chances to turn around and he did turn around in, in very small spells. And he had more than enough opportunity to build on that and turn, turn around that opinion he just never did and then just reverted back to he's never gave us a chance so i just think that's untrue it's it's just not it's not fair to judge's time here on the yes no we didn't want him of course we didn't want him he just finished 13th with the most expensive championship side ever um with villa um and then his following season he was like mid-table with chef Weddy. he wasn't exactly a can i take rafa benitez's project of newcastle forward yeah it's it's just it wasn't the right fit but regardless of that i think it's unfair to say that his failure is because he was never wanted. That's that's not. You don't get two over two years to do a job and still get to go back to. Oh, you've made it difficult for me from the start. That's just not how it works. No, it's not right. And to finish to finish this part off, um, I think like the, the feeling today from a lot of people, I feel is relief. Yeah. It's like it's relief that I don't have to stand there. Um, after Crystal Palace, for example, had he been in charge worrying that the manager who's in charge of what I've just seen and most likely being a disgrace and uncomfortable for Panis is good. You know, you can't compare the contrast in the feeling as a fan at watching the shambles in front of you and the manager saying this was mostly good. It makes it very, very difficult to continue to engage and want and want good things to happen to this man at this football club. You know, the feeling of seeing a team sheet and thinking why we're not playing a striker it didn't work the previous five weeks Steve why are we doing it again the you know being at Wolves stood there I mean I could give a hundred examples but being at Wolves chasing the game at 2-1 and thinking is he is he just stuck Isaac Hayden at centre-back to to try and get a goal back 
like put more defenders on the pitch and brought Jacob Murphy on at right wing back. These kind of things, you can't, I don't pretend to know everything. I don't pretend to think I know more than people who have lived the game and who get paid lots of money to do stuff. But, but, but I think myself and people watching and listening can see when things are being done relentlessly and repeatedly that just don't work, that are never going to work. I knew, stood at Wolves, as I'm sure you did, Charlotte, I knew, stood at Wolves, that bringing on Jacob Murphy to try and get a goal back and go back to five at the back wasn't going to work. I think we all knew that playing Alison Maximine as a striker, as a lone striker in the Premier League, wasn't going to work. I think when you play in Isaac Hayden at Old Trafford for the return of Cristiano Ronaldo ahead of an established centre-back, wasn't going to work. These are not the kind of things that football fans should have to think should have to point out, and it reached that point where I think Steve Bruce and his continued involvement in Newcastle United damaged Newcastle United. I'm only interested in winning games. I'm only interested in, in, in Newcastle United. I'm not anti-Bruce, I'm pro-Newcastle United. But to be pro-Newcastle United, you have to be anti-Bruce because he has been a disaster for this football club, in my opinion. That does it for part one. Uh, we'll be back, hopefully, after these messages. Not my fault if they don't turn up now, by the way, but hopefully. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Part two of the True Faith podcast. The True Faith podcast. The first True Faith podcast since August, July 2019. And Steve Bruce has not been the Newcastle United manager. What a wonderful thing to say. What a wonderful <laughs> day to be here talking to you people on the True Faith podcast. Charlotte, I'm going to come to you. What I would like to talk to you about is the reaction today to Steve Bruce's sacking, like I alluded to in part one, has been extraordinary. Um, why do you think that is? And what about the reaction has uh, shocked you the most? Shocked and enraged, I have to say. There's been some enragement on my side. Um yeah, it's been it's been really mixed. It's been you know there's the 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 classic pundits who are his friends who you were expecting to say you know head held high what a you know you did a good job, um and then and then there's the sort of next rung which is uh, people who aren't fans of Newcastle United saying you, you what you've hounded this poor man out, um one thing that's like boiled my blood today has been several people in media and on just on social media saying he's a good family man and you've and you've and he's been hounded out of a job right like true as that may be I don't know what the hell being a good family man (laughs) even firstly even means I think it just means he has a family and secondly 
how does that make anyone an effective manager? <laughs> it, uh, like, I, I, I honestly, I'm baffled by it. I almost don't want you to be a family man. I want you to be laser focused on the football <laughs> and not like hanging around These with kids your... are grown up <laughs> yeah that's a, that's the other point alex bruce is a grown man <laughs> he's a he's a he's a grown like at times fairly controversial and abusive man yeah yeah <laughs> he's so 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 that doesn't fit into the good that that people must mean i just find it baffling like astonishing that 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 is sort of like how could you like this is and and there's this sort of this feeling that Newcastle fans don't deserve any better than that because because these people know and as Alex you said at the top of the show I think these people don't want him at their clubs they don't want Steve Bruce anywhere near their clubs so so they know he's not good enough but so the only conclusion I can come to off the back of that is that they don't think that Newcastle fans deserve better they don't think that Newcastle United deserves better and I don't know why that is the case um the the media like I, I get a lot of people being like you've been against him since the start and and uh si mentioned that well yeah look at his record like you just you can you don't need to 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 personally attack steve bruce to debunk any kind of notion that he's a good football manager you just have to look at cold hard facts and statistics and it feels to me like no one in the media is doing that they're just focusing on the personal and then getting annoyed when the odd person calls them in his own words an inept cabbage head um if somebody calls him that and people are like you're making it personal you're making it personal there's all these personal attacks on him he's such a good man well that's personal that's that's also personal that's a personal opinion of of this man like you can't have it both ways and so good family man family man oh, sorry, that's the important yeah. word family good family the, man. the relevant football term family man mm. <laughs> <laughs> him and his family on the touchline it's so it's, it's so endearing isn't it um so i just that's how i felt about that you know i get that certain people's hands are tied she would put out a tweet sort of saying how hard it is and all of that, and and it's not what you want to hear. You want to hear them be like, he wasn't good enough to be at Newcastle, and it's good that he's gone. But you also know that that's just never going to come from those kinds of accounts. So whatever. But the the nonsense that's been spewed about about how awful it must have been and how unfair it's been on Steve. The man's walked away with eight million quid minimum. By the way, we don't know the 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 facts of the case, but he stood to gain about eight million quid from this. I just I cannot bear it. Sorry. Yeah, what I'd like to say, because I'm very interested in what you've said then, you've articulated it very well. Number one, I find it very interesting that the last time Newcastle sacked a manager in, Steve McLaren, no one talked about his family. He's also a family man, no one <laughs> Not talked a good about his one. family. The fact that this stuff, stuff coming up is revealing, because I almost feel like the this response has been, in with the friends of Steve Bruce, has been prepared since April 20. Mm-hmm. When the takeover was supposed to happen, Newcastle were eleventh, well clear of the relegation zone, or whatever they were at the time, eleventh, twelfth. Um, and it's like there's been this default opposition to his sacking, but because it is, it is ridiculous to suggest that uh, you know he's done anything else than a, than a bad job this season. And Newcastle are a bad team. Anyone who has seen them play knows they're a bad team. This is all they've got. And I, feel, I do feel a bit. Now I did five live early, and I did Sky Sports, and both of the presenters on both of those programs came at me with what you've just said about how is how it's unfair the, the treatment of Steve Bruce is unfair but they can't make that a football argument 
And and I think Charlotte, you you made the point to me that Gary Neville um, said that from an, from an HR <laughs> point of view, this was ridiculous. And it's like we're we're getting into the realms of farce. You're getting into my territory, Neville, and uh, I can I can refute that very very comfortably <laughs> with the fact that if you're that shite at your job, I'd have sacked you years ago. You, that sorry, it's not unfair treatment. It's yeah. bollocks. When there's when there's a payoff at the end of it, which is the the twisted side of football for being terrible at your job, you can't compare it to any other real HR situation. Yeah, which where, is exactly what Gary Neville tried yeah, to do. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a totally unique but, circumstance. Gary Neville sacked four managers last season <laughs> in his job. So, so I want to come to you specifically, though, about let, let's do some facts v. reality. So, I want to facts v. reality. Facts are reality. I meant <laughs> lies v. reality. Whatever you want to say. I want to put to you some of the tropes put out today. Okay. And I want you to kind of refute them uh, with the truth. The cold blade of truth <laughs> um, thrusted into these lies wow. of the wider media. This is so dramatic. Yeah. Well, Bruce is gone. You yeah. know, I, I'm oh, alive. Yeah. I am alive, Charlotte, because Bruce is gone. <laughs> so is your vocabulary. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Steve Bruce, good man, good manager, never stood a chance at Newcastle because the fans were always against him. Go. Um, we, we talked about this already uh, in part one, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Never stood a chance. Um, that's probably because his record shows that he can't manage a Premier League <laughs> club. Um, it, it's nothing to do with the with the way he was received, as I've as I've said already. Um, Steve Bruce um, has had a couple of couple of lucky spells at Newcastle where he could have he could have you know taken that momentum forward, as I've mentioned. Um, this is a manager who, in during his time at Newcastle, Newcastle United have conceded 139 goals more than any other Premier League club in that period. So. Wow. So he inherited the seventh best de- best defense in the league. Is that unfair? Is it unfair? How has he gone from that to being the worst, statistically worst defense in the league over a two and a bit year period? How is that, what's the, the the question you've asked got to do with that at all? How is that inevitable? How is that he never stood a chance? He's done that. That is all on him. He hasn't really changed that defense either. All right, he sold a Jane, which was questionable, but he was injury prone and maybe wanted to go to move to Spain. He's bought a proper left back, which none of his predecessors in about ten years have done. So he's got pretty much the same defense minus Lejeune with a with a with a proper left back to choose from, and somehow we are now we've gone from seventh to the worst. Next question for you: um, Steve Bruce works for Mike Ashley, and therefore it was impossible for him to succeed. <laughs> it depends what success is, doesn't it? Because there is always a bit of credence. Yes, working for Mike Ashley is difficult, and many, many predecessors, including Keegan, including Rafa, have found that difficult. However, he is now also the most backed manager in Newcastle United history, financially. You know, he has bought a hundred million pounds net of players. He's been given everything he was ever going to be given by Mike Ashley to make a go of this. Now, I can even be pragmatic and accept that Joe Linton probably wasn't his signing. Probably wasn't. Even though he, you know, he gave it his 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 stamp of approval, he he talked it up, and he was really pleased. But he was always going to say that in his his first few weeks of the job. However, imagine if Joe Linton had been a success. Imagine if if he'd been good, he would have gone on about that forever. <laughs> so, no, I'm sorry, uh, Max Van's a good player. I think uh, Jamal Lewis is a good player. He's he's added quality players to his squad. He's had, um, you know, the long staffs came through, and they were good players at one point. Um, no. 
Okay, final one for you then, and maybe the hardest one to answer. And I think, I think if this had been what a lot of the narrative was today, I think I do I disagree. Tell you in advance side that I disagree, but you probably know that. But I'm going to let you answer it. But it's a better point than the other two, which have been foisted on us. Um, Steve Bruce kept Newcastle in the league two seasons in a row, comfortably kept them in the league, despite what his own words about improving the squad, improving the team, taking the team forward. Ultimately, his job was only ever to do that under Mike Ashley. Therefore, does he not deserve credit for that, those two finishes, 12th and 13th? Well, no, that's not... If that was the absolute minimum expectation, why would he deserve credit? I mean, yeah. it's okay. Um, in any job, like if I if I um, was a bus driver and I managed to get, to, get to, <laughs> to the end destination about 20 minutes late, not brilliant, but... Am I going to expect a round of applause as I get off the bus? Like, what does he want? What does he? What does he want credit for doing the absolute bare minimum and and not achieving anything really? To keeping the club at an absolute standstill. I mean, in his words, ticking along, whatever that means. Um, but you know, with the added investment, with the hundred million pounds that we all wanted to go to Benitez to invest in the squad and improve us, to keep us even standing still is a failure, really. After, as you say, he spent the whole of his, you know first few months at the club talking about taking us forwards, talking about changing the way we play, talking about being a bit more exciting, being front foot was the, was his words. Mm. Um, he hasn't achieved anything in, in, in by his, even his own standards. So what credit does he actually deserve? Um, it still confuses me now. And yes, all right, under Ashley, keeping us up is, is some sort of achievement because Ashley sometimes does his best to make that hard. But I wouldn't say he's made that particularly difficult for Bruce. He's given him, as I've said before, quite a bit of backing. So no, he hasn't achieved anything. I also really take issue with the comfortably because it has not been comfortable. No. These last two seasons under under Steve Bruce, okay, if you're just looking at the finish, oh, okay, you finished 12th and 13th. That's pretty good. You're, you're top, top half of the bottom half of the table. But they weren't comfortable. They were relegation battles, both of them. And sitting at like 17th, 16th, 17th for most of the season, that was a very uncomfortable place to be looking over our shoulder. Really, before coronavirus hit and there was that break in play we were on a terrible run of form and and did I couldn't see like it, it looked like relegation was nailed on then and and I think I think it was you Sai that made the point the other day that if we'd lost the last game of the season we would have been 17th last season you know that's how little there was in between in in that part of the impact that part of the table so I totally dispute the word comfortably because that to me is just somebody looking at last day of the season positions and that that's it. No, and he's he's relied on so much luck and lots of people, especially in the media, uh, especially certain certain local national journalists, um, have will we'll say, oh, it's, it's easy to say it was lucky. Whenever he wins, it's luck. Whenever he loses, it's 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 because he's bad. But statistically, the statistically the data is there to say that we were very, very lucky to win a lot of our games. We were winning games where the other team was having far more possession, far more shots, far more chances. And Martin Dubravka's basically got man in the match about 10 times. Um, we are the bottom of every other metric other than where we finished in the league in, in two seasons, really. You know, we were we were bottom three for expected goals for, well, I've just said, they've conceded the most goals out of every, every Premier League team he's been up against in that time. Um, there is evidence to suggest that we must have got lucky. We had to get lucky because we, we were the worst at everything. Worst pass completion, I think, or certainly the bottom three. Least shots created, least chances created. We have been crap, really, really crap. And 
<laughs> it's an achievement to have finished where we did in those two seasons based on the statistics that go behind yeah. it. But that's not an achievement. That's just just pure pure fluke. Yeah, and there were there were games weren't there where we like sorry to use the word, but like shit housed our way to a yeah. win. It was total. It was like, and everyone was like, oh, Bruce's luck. Like if we hadn't won a few in a row, it'd be like, well, we'll, we'll do a lucky, we'll do a lucky game. It wasn't like, well, he's going to make these changes and there's going to be a, a significant, like significantly different approach to the game. It's wedge you a bit of luck. Like that's no way to, to run a football team. Totally agree. Uh, brilliant answers, Cy then. Brilliant contribution, Charlotte. I honestly can't add to them. So I'll, finish off this part of the show by talking about the key moments that I feel Bruce got catastrophically wrong. Now, Bruce did... Um, we're going to be here for a while. He did mm. uh, He did 102 games at Sunderland. He did 97 games at Villa, and nine, 98 games at Villa, and 97 games at Newcastle. So there is a clear and consistent pattern here about how long he can... Last at these clubs and in management in in this era, you've done well to to get nearly a hundred games, at, you know, at football clubs at this level. But I, I feel that if you look at the the turning points for me, the Manchester City home game, and this this to me defends my point that we as Newcastle fans aren't expecting the world. I didn't think that Newcastle would beat Man City in the FA Cup quarter final in twenty twenty. Uh, just after the panda, just after football resumed behind closed doors, I didn't think Newcastle would win that game. But I thought they might turn up. I thought they might try and influence the game to the extent that they could possibly take it to a replay or or put it up a good show. And, and there was the capitulation. There was the rollover and die. There was the beaming Steve Bruce at full time, having been only beaten two 0 delighted with what he saw. And I feel that that is almost peak Mike Ashley right there. That game was Bruce Ashley apologist that he was, unlike Rafa Benitez. And it just it just embodied everything wrong with Bruce. Forget about losing the game. Man City are a good team, much better than Newcastle, but they didn't even try to win. They didn't even try. And if, if you're a football team and you're going into games, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to play attacking football or commit men forwards or anything like that, but you have to want to try to win. He lost me that, that day. He lost me that day. I wasn't wasn't Bruce out before that, but he lost me that day. I think beyond that, you look at the Brentford game, the Brentford Cup quarter final against Brentford reserves. Uh, Thomas Frank really showed up the lack of tactical nous that game, the lack of planning, and uh, you know he lost a lot a lot more Newcastle fans after that. And then I think the first game of this season against West Ham was massive for Bruce. It was massive. There was 50,000 there. First game back in the ground. He had an opportunity. We were 2-1 up uh, in, at half time. Uh, he had an opportunity there to set the season off. And he was outcoached and outthought by David Moyes. And West Ham ended up scoring three goals in 15 minutes. Newcastle didn't have a shot in the second half. Three games there that he couldn't... Forget about affording to lose. He couldn't afford to turn in the kind of performances that his teams turned in. Those are the three games I'll probably remember of the Bruce era. I don't know if anyone else wants to add their own twist to that point I've just made. I think the one I'll remember as well is the most recent Wolves game. Because that just... Not because it was anything new, apart from... The just we did score and 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 I just felt very little and I just felt so sad leaving that one and I think that's the saddest I'd felt and Alex you were there with me and 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 I just felt you felt shit as well and 
at that point we were only we were but four days from takeover and we didn't know and i could not see the light at the end of the tunnel i was like i don't know how long i can do this for i can't watch this and where's he gonna go he's not gonna leave and now he's gone i'm so happy <laughs> well there was no specific moment where it changed for me because i was never on bruce's side i can i can admit that i was never he didn't do anything to win me over because every time he had a chance to win me over he, he fucked it um <laughs> Me and you were at Rochdale away for the FA Cup third oh, round. That God. was that was God. brutal, that really was so brutal. Bad. Um, again, just being just a, a team that just looked better prepared for a game than us, and they were they were in the, the, thir- the fourth like, division. Why didn't we just think this is a family man? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Rochdale, we've got a, a family good, man in the dugout. A good family <laughs> yeah. man. Um, in fact, that whole FA Cup run was hilarious, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Oxford, who was the other team? West um, Brom. West Brom, like it's just just farcical. Um, so yeah, there was no point where I started to get hope that things could could turn out well. Um, all of this, all the the, the um, numbers you've just read out there, um, ninety. I don't guess he got one hundred games of Villa. Um, Villa or Sunderland, I might have conflicted uh, them. But anyway, was. the fact that he got close for at all three clubs is it speaks volumes to the, well the the thousand game total that he's managed to achieve. What's annoyed me today, uh, going back to the press a little bit, is the suggestion that um, that he's. That it's a, it's a big thing that he got to a thousand games, and it is for the reasons you said that somehow he's managed to navigate a much longer stay at some of these clubs than he perhaps should have got. But this this suggestion that he's that a thousand games means that he's like really experienced and that he's got a lot of like we have been seeing for the last eight eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, what that experience gets you nothing. Yeah. Experience is absolutely meaningless if you're not good at it. So you know the best managers in the world don't get there by experience Benitez didn't get the top jobs from experience he got there by being good by being obsessive um Mourinho Guardiola these these managers got straight to the top of the game by being obsessive by being excellent by working really really hard not by experience and just saying well I've got loads of experience behind me and just keep saying the same things they were demonstrating how good they were at it and doing things that others weren't um Graham Potter more recently is probably someone you'd add to that list of someone who's He's working really hard and he's not just sort of saying, oh, I've got loads of experience, so I know what I'm doing. He's learning every day. And Bruce, after a thousand games, doesn't appear to have learned anything about football management. And it is staggering that this family man persona has, <laughs> is the reason he has a thousand games under his belt. Yeah, I should, I should clarify. I don't think Steve Bruce himself has brought out this family man stuff. Though he said, he said much else uh, of note, but before we're bringing Craig Hope to this podcast, and uh, sorry to all of you who've probably been wishing Craig was here to talk, <laughs> but you're going to get your wish. Um, any any highs for you? Just go around the room, Charlotte. I mean, don't want to put words in your mouth, but Everton away might be up there. That's definitely my high. That's definitely my high. It was just such a good night. Um, again, a bit of a shit house. Lucky, like ridiculous. Like no one could have you seen. You said win there. It was yeah, a draw. I know, but it, it was. I know. <laughs> I uh, it's it's one of those ones that Steve Bruce we won we won one one. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't one one. Um, but it was. Uh, yeah, that one. That one's got to be my. It felt like a win. Like leaving that ground, it felt like a win. It was just brilliant, and um, that's got to be. It. I actually really enjoyed West Brom away. Um, that just before COVID. Um, that FA Cup tie. Uh, m- m- I guess more just the memories of like being there. It was really fun. The away crowd was really good, and it was a it was a very um that game had it was really like the West Ham away game earlier that season. It was a three two, and it was like a it was a comfortable lead and then a not comfortable lead. But it was it was just a really fun away day. Um, 
before the world went mental. So I think I'll remember those two. Those are my highs. Yeah, for me, I think Southampton at home two one. That was the, the high point of Bruce's reign. I believe we were eighth or ninth after that, and mm-hmm. we'd had a re- like. To be fair to Bruce, the the the, the two two Man City draw at the start of that week was excellent. Newcastle defended really well, played really well against the team that won the league. I think it was them who won the league, but anyway, a very good Man City team. We drew two two. Shelby scored a great goal, and then we went to Sheffield United, played really badly, but won in hilarious circumstances. Sheffield United was sixth when we played them, and then we played Southampton, who played us off the pitch. Uh, and Martin Dubravka made three one-on-one saves to keep it at 1-0, and then uh, Andy Carroll comes on, and John Joe Shelby and Federico Fernandes give us a 2-1 win, possibly a late 88th-minute goal, and it just felt like, this isn't good, but it's lucky, mm. but we will be good soon, so it's okay, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> we, we went to Burnley the following week, Charlotte, didn't we? And the less said about that, the better. That was a low. Yeah, Burnley's a, a low. High by a low. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of feel Bruce's tenure peaked then, what, in late November or... No, it's been December. December um, 2019. December 19. That seems like a long time ago. It was a long time. It's nearly yeah. two years ago. Yeah. So I'll always have that day <laughs> in front of 42,000 or whatever were there. Hardly anyone was there. Um, but that, that felt quite good walking out the ground. There was the Chelsea win as well, mm. January, not long after. Again, completely undeserved. And, and that's the thing. And, and just to finish this part off, I think the story of Steve Bruce at Newcastle United is doing the bare minimum. Like the, these results were the minimum that was require, required. And it's almost like, like, you know, we're talking about highs, like winning against a poor Southampton team at home when we didn't deserve to. That's not really a high. So all the bullshit that's come after it. You don't have anything to reference to think, oh, but it might be better when we'll get back to these good old days. When the good old days are fairly shit themselves, mm. there's not a lot to go on as a fan. Right. That's us. Craig Hope's up next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the Bruce Slayer, Craig Hope, joins us live <laughs> in the studio. Craig, we're, we're very humbled to be in your presence. I think you won't mind me saying when I say... Uh, no journalist, in my opinion, has done more to highlight, just simply highlight what has been going on at Newcastle United under Steve Bruce, and it has not been pretty. First question to you, mate. Uh, how did you react today when the news broke? Yeah, I think the overriding emotion today was was one of relief, really. The last two years have been difficult on so many levels. It's, it hasn't necessarily been uh, enjoyable as much as, listen, I've got a lot of a lot of stories out of it and a lot of airtime, a lot of exposure, and I've I've enjoyed that side of it. On the whole, it's been a... A pretty difficult period, really, and a fairly unsavoury one. And I, I take us back to, to, to the, the I'll take us back to the most recent game on Sunday, really. And it was supposed to be a day of real celebration. Listen, I guess all you guys were there and had the same emotion going into it. For once, a, a rare excitement going to a, a Newcastle football match. Uh, and I left the ground, and it was, it just felt grubby again. It just didn't feel like an enjoyable day whatsoever. I came down into town. The bars were quiet. Uh, there wasn't a very nice feel in town at all and I think that was all to do with with uh, it was the presence of Steve really which the owners were warned would potentially ruin what what they promised to be an otherwise brilliant day and you know they came in last week and various parties made them aware what the the presence of Steve 
would do to that game on Sunday in terms of the performance, in terms of the reaction in the crowd. You've then got an incident in the tunnel afterwards with Jamal Lascelles and, and Isaac Hayden. And I think the new owners just looked in and just thought, wow, we need to make a change immediately. Uh, this is one of the words which is quoted back to me today was this is dysfunctional. And I think Sunday, in a way, ended up accelerating the process. The presence of the, the chairman, Yasser Rumayan, being there uh, certainly helped in that regard. I think that was significant, certainly when the chance went round in the second half. Amanda Stavely made him aware of exactly the nature of them uh, because the, the British-based owners had been pushing the week before to get this done before the Spurs game because they were fully aware of, of what this meant. Uh, so, yeah, after the Spurs game, it was inevitable. And what was my overriding emotion? Well, yeah, I go back to that word, just relief. and Also relief for Steve as well. Listen, this wasn't very nice. And for me to say this is a hell of a leap, I actually <laughs> felt sorry for him in the second half. I did. I thought when your own supporters are singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. And I looked down at him on the touchline by himself. I just thought, wow, this has just got to stop for everyone. Please, come on, take action. And and thankfully they did. Really gracious, gracious of you to say that because I think most people listening will be aware, I will tell them now, that Steve Bruce has been responsible for you not being able to do your job as, as maybe as, as uh, I wouldn't say as well as you'd liked, but in terms of the setting, maybe like go and watch the games live firsthand. Steve Bruce has kept you away from the ground. You know, how has how that been to deal with and, and how has it made you feel, you know, in terms of it's one thing, you know, maybe the director of a football club or owners or whatever, but, but for a manager to do that, I've never heard of a manager doing that before. You might know with your industry or more, but how has that been for you? Well, I watched one game with you and had a pint at half-time, so it was brilliant, <laughs> to be honest with you. you know, the disappointing news came when I was allowed back in. Uh, but no, I mean, so listen, the, the, the story about the ban uh, came about in, in March, of course, when I broke the story of, of Matt Ritchie and the, 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 the whole coward incident. And uh, Steve banned me before I'd even written the story, just when he knew that I was in receipt of the information. The call went into my, my desk in London and that was it. I was banned. I wasn't coming back in. Now... Now, that was a huge error on the part of Steve and the part of the club because if a journalist has got a story like that, which you know to be true, you work with them. You give them a call and you say, right, okay, we concede that, but leave that. Come on, let's work together and get to a point whereby we're happy with the story which goes in the paper. Not happy, but there's a compromise met. Earlier in the week, I wrote a story about Isaac Hayden and Jamal Lascelles. Now, I had more details beyond that. With the new regime, we had a, a... an honest conversation between myself and the club and certain details were removed and a compromise was met and I think everyone was happy enough with what appeared in the newspaper. In March, that wasn't the case whatsoever. And because Steve lost and the club lost total control of the story, it went in the paper raw as you saw it. And listen, Steve confirmed the details, the details of the story to be true. I was banned and (laughs) it was frustrating to be banned for doing your job. And for doing your job, in my opinion, doing your job, doing your job properly, really, you know, the hardest part of, of, of a task of being a journalist is is extracting information that the reader didn't know yesterday and presenting that to your presenting that to your audience and saying this happened, X happened, Y happened because of because of Z. And in that in that case, it was a you know, I mean, it was it was a good story. I, I enjoyed writing it. The reaction to it was was widespread and all the rest of it. But to be banned for it was was frustrating. I thought it was wrong. And I thought it also thought it was counterproductive for Steve going forward because I sent him, and I'll, I'll reveal this now, I sent him a nice message during the summer at the end of the season. I said, listen, I said, you know, a lot of crap has gone under the bridge the past two years, but going into a new season, COVID, all the rest of it, hasn't been a nice time for anyone. I said, come on, meet me, 
meet me for a, for a coffee, for a beer. If you still think I'm a prick at the end of it, you know, fair enough, we'll go with separate ways. But I said, I'm not a negative reporter. I said, all I hear from inside and all I see with my own eyes is negativity, negativity, negativity. Give me a reason to report something positive, and I will. Please let me just try and prove that to you. Let's see where we go going forward this season. And I didn't get a reply. So, Did you, you know. get a sense when you were writing the original one in March that got you banned, did you have any inkling, did you have any feel that you that was going to be the outcome? Did you the, think that... The ban? Yeah. Uh, you don't think like that to a degree. But listen, I knew that... So I could have avoided the ban, okay? So because the ban came before I'd written a word... I could have not written the story right. and been unbanned. But the minute you do that, you might as well pack up and go home yeah. as a journalist. You're compromised. Absolutely, you're compromised. And I thought, you know what? I'll be banned. I'll be, I'll be banned. I'll, I'll dig even deeper. I'll try even harder to get stories. If anything, you, you're motiv- motivating me to, 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 to go harder, really. And I, I, told the, I told the club that. I said, listen, I said, work with me. What are you doing? Like, you don't have to ban me for this. You know, we can have a, an adult conversation about it. And that just that just didn't happen. And the whole thing spiralled. And I think it became a, a, a real problem for Steve. You know, you saw the, the banners in, in, in the end, the, 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 the flags with the word coward on, all the rest of it. And I think exposing that story and some of the detail within it uh, did him no favours whatsoever. And it, it, was it the beginning of the end? I, I, I don't know, because they, they did end up sort of turning it around towards the the end of the season but uh but no certainly for for me as a as a as a journalist i wasn't about to sort of back out of that story whatsoever i think it's interesting that it was just you you straight out with it it's true yep it's <laughs> every word of it's true that's that's <laughs> what was amazing about the fact that you got banned for it but also that um why nobody else then well it is true then right tell us a bit more about what happened no one it was just all about oh there's a there's someone trying to cause disruption and he was very quick to turn the narrative into him versus well you or mm. and and mm. the supposed mole who was potentially a source which we'll not ask you about but mm. um i think it's it, it kind of was it was needed it was very much needed because i think the, the supporters certainly felt like no one was really grilling him no one was really getting to the bottom of what's going on at this football club everyone was kind of just just letting him get away with what to us felt like absolute bullshit every week mm. and i think i feel like there was only a very small number of people in the room more so after what happened to you asking genuine questions and they weren't really getting anywhere so I, th- I feel like you had to do what you did and and, mm. and make a story about what's actually going on behind the scenes at this football club why it really was more toxic than than bruce kind of come out and say no it's all fine we're we're, we're trying we're best happens to do every this week, si. yeah. happens yeah. every week mm-hmm. at newcastle <laughs> uh, yeah and, and, and a point i want to make on that as well si is that uh so the subsequent press conference was all about the source of the story i was sad the source of the problem get to the source mm. of the problem don't worry about the source of the story don't spend your entire exactly. week trying to catch a rat go and, and and talk to your players and get to the bottom of why this story's appeared in the paper get to the bottom of why they're upset get to the bottom of why a significant number was so pissed off the previous week when they thought that you'd leak team news to a to a newspaper now listen for the record steve bruce denies that and i don't know if that's true or not and steve bruce denies that and, and so do others but the point was that, that story appearing in the paper about Carl Dollar being dropped did set the ball rolling in terms of the, the, the players being unhappy and, and losing a little bit of trust with Steve. Mm. That On the back of that then came the Matt Ritchie incident and everything from there snowballed, really. Looking back uh, at, at the whole era, are you surprised somewhat that... that he did manage to keep the team up quite comfortably with everything going on in the background. And you, I think you, you first got on Steve Bruce's wrong side, and correct me if I'm wrong, day one. 
day no. one of of his of his reign. Are you, are you somewhat surprised that it's taken this long for it all to come tumbling down? I mean, I, I'll correct you there. I would agree. A lot of people say this to me. You were after him from day one. It wasn't day one. I mean, it was day two. To be fair. <laughs> you know, day one. I actually welcomed him. I remember having a conversation and saying, you know, I think this is a, a relatively steady appointment. I met with two of, two of your true faith guys, Michael Martin in the, the county in Gosford there, and uh, Michael was very anti-Steve, and I was like, oh, I'll see, give the guy a chance, he's a steady pair of hands, I've worked with him at Hull, I think he's all right, to be honest with you, and the, the opening game of the season was against Arsenal on the Sunday, and I wrote a piece in the, the Mail on Sunday saying, you know, results are important, but this is a steady pair of hands, he's inherited a little bit of a shit show, let's give the guy a chance. After Arsenal and Norwich in that first week, I just thought, wow, I, I don't like what I'm seeing here, I don't like what I'm hearing, and I, 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 listen, I admit I did go from go from quite quickly. Uh, and I think I, I went on the Sunday supplement show about three or four weeks into the season uh, in Newcastle, had a, uh, and it was quite strong in terms of what I said. Uh, in Newcastle, had a midweek game that week in the League Cup, and I saw Steve. And before the press conference, he said, "You," he said, "You, you know, you you went on the television and you said this, that, and the other about me, more or less indicating you know you think you're a, a big shot." You say I'm a shit manager with shit tactics, all the rest of it. And I was like, Steve, I said, listen, I, I didn't say that. And I went back and watched the show back and I was like, fucking hell, I did say that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, maybe I was a little bit strong to to begin with. I, I don't know, a couple of people have said that to me. I went too soon, but I just really believed the courage of my conviction in terms of just an instinct I had in terms of what I'd, what I'd seen and what I, I felt being, being around Steve, that this wouldn't work over time. Now, to go back to your question, do I give him credit for keeping them up comfortably, relatively comfortably, two years in a row. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I do. I suppose there is a, a, a degree of... Uh, <laughs> sorry, shaking his head there. Mm. Uh, there is a degree of... It, in points alone, looking at the points tally alone, now, it's inescapable that you, you cannot... You, 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 sorry, you can make an argument for Steve Bruce doing an OK job. you got the same points total as Rafa. Now, at the end of the day, by hook or by crook, however you get there, you are the manager with the name above the door, and that is your points tally. But, but, and here's the but, everything else we saw pointed to regression. Everything else. Everything else we heard pointed to regression. Players unhappy behind the scenes. Players not happy with training schedules. Players not happy with, with tactics, with improvement, with coaching, with nutrition, with everything else. Everything you heard behind the scenes. What we saw on the pitch as well. We've talked about this so many times. No strategy, no style. Where's the team going with this? It's basically a Hail Mary, Darling St. Maximum, relying on Martin Dubravka to bail you out. Over time, that could not last. And incredibly, it wasn't really until... Well, sorry, it was last season until the freakish end of the season but until this season that we've really seen the the, the, the the fruits of that. It defied all logic. Like Mathematically, it should not have been possible to survive twice the way, as you've just described, after two years, we still had no plan. We still didn't know our best team. Well, we did. Our manager didn't know our best team. He didn't know where his best players play. Mm. And after two years, we still didn't know, are we are we a defensive counter-attacking team? Are we trying to, what are we trying to do here? Like Statistically, it should not have been possible to finish 13th and 12th it didn't make any sense. And we talked about it before you got here, Craig, but there's a lot of luck has to be attributed to that because on another season, we could have easily been relegated both both of those years and somehow didn't. Mm. But you could not argue that we deserved any more than what we got, but you could definitely argue we deserved less. Mm. Now, at, at the end of the first season, I came and did a podcast with you guys in Gosforth and you were really surprised at my tone, if you remember, because I was quite, you know, you inherited a little bit of a, a difficult situation. Rafa, even on the eve of the season, hasn't been good this season but you know what he got through 
And I think that day I'd been to the training ground, hadn't I? And I'd sat down with Callum Wilson as a new signing, Ryan Fraser, Jamal Lewis and Steve as well. And I thought, you know what, give this guy a chance this year. Maybe it's the first year. It was always going to be a difficult one. Let's see now with his own players in. St. Max has had a, a, a year and St. Max was, you know, he was excellent in that first year anyway. He's had another year. You're bringing in Wilson the others. Let's see how it plays out this year. And it just didn't happen. If anything, it got worse. And the longer Steve Bruce was exposed to that team, the worse it got, which is what we've seen in terms of where they are where they are now. And one thing I do want to go back to, and it, it comes back to your question to me before, Alex, you know, I was against him from day one, and there's this narrative emerging now that it, that Steve Bruce never had a chance. I did a BBC TV interview today, and the, uh, the interviewer said, he never had a chance, did he, coming in here, never had a chance. I was like, hold on a minute. I said, I'm going to stop you there. I said, we have got to explode this myth that Steve Bruce never had a chance coming in here and it's because of pre-existing, premeditated feelings about his allegiance, previous allegiance to Sunderland. I said, that's absolute nonsense. I said, Steve Bruce has been judged entirely on the confines of the job he has done at Newcastle United and that has not been good enough. If it had been better and he'd handled himself with more grace and less aggravation, now I think supporters would have taken him. I, I honestly believe supporters would have taken him. There's even been little spells, little glimmers when there has been a good run when you can sense a change in the in the softening of, of, of some of your friends and supporters, and you think, you know what, if this actually runs on and this does click, you know, Steve might be okay. He didn't get that. He had this sort of persecution complex where he came in and he thought that everyone was against him from the off, and they really weren't. And I just felt like screaming sometimes, saying, listen, Steve, it's it's you and the job you're doing, which is the reason you're getting criticism. And mm. it brings us on to another point that... that he often he readily equated criticism to abuse, and it wasn't. It was yeah. just, yeah. if anything, but some of it was constructive. Have a, you know, read my bit, Steve. You might learn, you know, you read, listen to some <laughs> of the podcast. There might be some ideas in there for you. I know I sound like a toss or saying that, but, you know, try and take some of it on board. It was like last Christmas, we had a conversation with them over tactics. Uh, it was in the middle of that 11 game winless run, and we were pressing them on tactics. Me, there was Chris Waff, a couple of others. And uh, he said, Where's all this come from? He couldn't get his head around the idea of us guys raising a, a debate on tactics and style. Steve's answer for everything was pretty much, when my best players are fit, everything will be okay. And to an extent, that was just about true sometimes, but they still lost a lot of matches. With until this in, season. In until this there. season. You know, this this season, like you said, has blown it all apart. You look at the, the opening game against West Ham, Wilson, Wilson plays St. Maximin plays, um, you know, and from you know the following week, Joe Willock's in there, and we still get beat. Why... You're a great person to ask this because I think I think I've, a lot of people listening will have seen you on TalkSport in particular, to name mm. that station. You know, they've come after you quite hard. They've come after you quite hard. I've done media today, Charlotte's done media today, and we talked about that before you got here. Why Why does, do you think Bruce has this insane mm. protection mm-hmm. within parts of your industry? And, and just to develop it a little bit further, we've just discussed no one, not one person... I've heard today, furious with the quote-unquote treatment of Bruce, has has even tried to defend him this season, the football, the results. They haven't even tried to suggest that Newcastle have been good enough season, yet they still think he's been treated terribly, yet they still think he's been hounded out and has been treated Mm. unfairly. Why is there this complete divide in your industry? Mm. People like yourself and other people who who would agree with your assessment of Bruce either all along or have come round to that assessment, but he still has this loyal group of people who will not have a bad word said about him. What's going on? I think it comes back potentially to the power of being a Manchester United captain and being the age he is. And if you think a lot of the, the, the guys in the media now and the age that are, your Gary Nevilles and Jamie Redknapps and all the rest of it, 
Steve Bruce was senior to them. He's 10, 10, 12 years older than them. And I think he retains a hell of a lot of respect from his playing career. And I just think he hit at the right time in terms of being Manchester United captain during that era under Sir Alex Ferguson. And I think it's the residual respect which resides from his playing career. And I understand why that exists. He was a brilliant player. Should have played for England. Nothing but respect for his for his playing career. Wonderful ambassador for for his club and for, for the North East in that regard. And I do think that is is the reason that this protection exists. On top of that, the other strand of it is, away from this environment and away from Newcastle United, he must be a nice bloke. There are too many people I speak to who, the likes of people I've got respect for, Alan Shearer, who, who enjoys company and go on, on holiday with him. In a different environment, I can imagine Steve Bruce being a good bloke to, to have a pint with and have a bottle of wine with. And I think he's quite a, a genial chap in that regard. We did not see that person here. In fact, we saw a completely different side of Steve. A side, I think, even he would admit on reflection, he probably doesn't like looking back on himself. We saw someone who was quite petty, quite vindictive. uh, Bitter. Quite bitter, yeah. yeah. And all of these words are used, and people who are his friends will probably listen in, think he's not like that, and I get why they say that. What we saw at Newcastle United, and this is part of the problem with the guys looking in from London, because they don't see that side. With Steve Bruce, you've got to be on the ground to appreciate it. A great quote in an article I've wrote for tomorrow, Rich Sutherland from the Villa Park podcast, one of my friends uh, who I do the, the, the odd podcast with, he he says, you've got to live Steve Bruce to know Steve Bruce. And I thought, wow, that's so true. As a supporter, Villa fans, everyone used to look in from the outside. What are they complaining about? I used to. I used to think, what's Villa moaning about? He's a good guy. I've worked with him. I, I, I liked him. I genuinely did think he was a, an okay, steady pair of hands. Rich says, you only really appreciate what it's like in terms of the comments in the press, the players out of position, the 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 repeated sound bites which make little sense and carry little substance. You only appreciate that when you've got Steve Bruce as your manager on a day-to-day basis. So to go back to the point about talk sport and the insulation, I think it's... A, the man you thing, B, the fact that he probably is a, a decent fellow in a different environment, and C, the fact that until you actually live it as the manager of your football club or football club you cover, you don't appreciate how bad it is. Is is there a D? Um, and this is me This is me being a, a bit um, cynical, but because of the takeover, because there's suddenly this massive, what feels like Andy Newcastle sentiment, is it an easy thing to, to get behind Steve Bruce now? Because there seems to be more people in the... The wider media, the national media. I mean, you were on. You were talking to Nagaman Chetty this morning, Dodds. I never thought she would be asking <laughs> you about the the sacking of Steve Bruce um, in a in a and, sympathetic and, to Steve and, and Bruce then, manner. And also suggesting that Newcastle's players just weren't good enough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really strange well, that the 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 enhanced backing he suddenly has now after exactly thirty eight games in which forget the takeover. It's sackable. Winning seven out of thirty eight games as absolutely any other club would have sacked their manager. So. What, what, what is it? Something different. It feels different this time. Yeah, so the takeover actually has given the, the the defenders of Steve Bruce, whatever you want to call them, an excuse to say he's a victim of the takeover. And I was asked this question on, on Time Tees the day. They said, uh, God, I'm getting around. Uh, <laughs> this, they said, uh, you know, what, was this inevitable once the takeover happened? I said, well, yes, but let's not dress this up as Steve Bruce being the victim of a takeover. Steve Bruce should have been sacked, whether it was Mike Ashley... Or, or, or the Saudis in charge, it didn't make any any difference, really. Uh, 
you know, let's not be sympathetic and say, you know, Steve was doing a great job and he was going along nicely and, and it's only because new owners come in and, and new broom sweeps clean, all the rest of it. I said, that's absolute nonsense. I said, the only reason Steve Bruce wasn't sacked by Mike Ashley, well, there was 8 million reasons, basically, because they <laughs> negotiated this contract whereby Mike Ashley thought the takeover was going to happen and that the payoff, Steve accepted a lower wage in return for a, a more handsome payoff and that protected him. And it was a little show of, of loyalty, really, because they thought that it would be someone else's problem, which ultimately it was. Uh, in the in in the end, he's done that with with other members of staff, which I know of as well. So, uh, yeah, have, have I got sympathy for Steve Bruce on a on a personal level? Well, yes, to a degree. I didn't think that was nice on Sunday. On a professional level, absolutely not. I think people really held off on Sunday. I think I said this on the podcast. I really think fans held off. Yeah, um, did, yeah. to, sort of an anti Bruce sentiment. Really wanted Sunday to be so positive when it was so was. And yeah, that died off after about 20 minutes and Spurs started dominating the game. But I really, like, we could have started, like, if we hadn't been taken over, the anti-Bruce chance would have started then. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, I, you know, fans really didn't want to, but, like, you get pushed to it. I think, I, I might be wrong, trying to remember back, it was the point when Wilson goes off and it was just all the classics. It was the same as it was the week before, the week before that, and the week before that. It was Joe Linton getting 90 despite being an absolute disgrace, playing with no striker, chasing a game. And, you know, the John Joe Shelby stuff, the lack of midfield. I think, you know, there's only so long in the ground you can think this is this is just mm. absolutely mental. We'll, we'll watch the same mistakes every single week. Um, but I agree with you, and I agree with you both. I think I think it could have been far worse than it was, but people were kind of happy. People wanted to see it, see it go. Uh, Craig, I just want to touch on something you said about the new owners and how the British-based uh, owners of the club had wanted to get rid of them before Sunday. Mm. I think... Before today, lots and lots of fans were getting more concerned. And, you know, there was articles in the Telegraph, articles in the Independent last week, attacking the setup at Newcastle, saying it, particularly in the Independent, Miguel Delaney, saying it was chaos week one at Newcastle United. You've been pretty close to the new owners there. You said that you, you spoke to them uh, last week. You know, what's your impression been of them so far and how much blame do you lay at their door about Bruce being given the Spurs game? Blame at the door for the Spurs game. Now, you saw the press conference on Friday when Steve lashed out at us guys for writing the stories that he was set to go. Now, I thought that was misdirected because you wouldn't have had the breadth of coverage and the conviction of the coverage without that being extremely well sourced. Trust me, it was their intention to make a change last week. They either ran out of time or, more likely from what we let it believe, hit a little bit of a roadblock in terms of the Saudis signing that off. So it didn't happen in time for the Spurs game evidenced by the fact that the statement confirming he was going to stay arrived half an hour before he was due to speak to the press. Now, what's the impression of the first week? Miguel and one or two others have used the word chaotic. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with chaotic, but then wasn't it always going to be chaotic? These guys, it, it 48, 72 hours notice, I know it's gone up for two years, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> saying that, but at very short notice have been handed the keys to a football club. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't disagree with chaotic. Certainly, people coming back to me have, have, have used that word. I don't think it's necessarily a negative word yet. I just think it's a it's a sign of people who have never run a football club before finding their feet and inheriting something which is which which is huge. And yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Okay, um, it's not just being handed the keys to a football club. It's being handed the keys to a football club that's been poorly run mm. for like fourteen years. So there's probably loads of rot we don't know about. There's loads of stuff that they're like, oh. Like, fuck, I didn't think about this. Mm. So, I, yeah, I don't think chaotic is, is bad. Yeah, and that's why, so there was this expectation when they came in that, that Lee Charney would go, but 
you can't get rid of Lee Charnley. If you get rid of Lee Charnley, what is there? Like they've actually gone in. I think they've, they've realised that you know Lee is a is uh, is a, a valued operator. He is. A, listen, I'll, I'll always stick up for Lee in terms of he's a very competent operator. He just he's had this awful public public face and perception of him where he's done himself no favours. And I've always said to him the odd time I've spoken to him, you, you know, you sh- into others, he should do more. He's he's, he's actually okay when you speak to him and I think the new owners have gone in there have re- realised the value of Lee but if you get rid of Lee what is there you, you need someone to tell you the codes to, to the alarms and to, how to turn the computer <laughs> on and where petty cash is without that there is no one because it is a little bit of a of a ghost ship of a, of a football club so so yeah listen the finding the feet uh, I didn't think it was a great start in terms of not getting rid of Steve I, I wish that I'd more conviction and the, the authority to push that through sooner because it would have avoided Sunday which was an opportunity missed you know, you only get one first game and they, they they were warned it would play out like that and I think they were they were complicit in, in it being a bit of a shit show in the end. I thought it was an awful day, but uh, other than the first 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, so listen, give give the, God, give these guys a chance. The most important thing is, listen, Amanda Stavely's never run a football club before. She's going to be raw and there's going to be mistakes, but we've got to applaud her for bringing this deal to the table. Goodness, we, we she'd yeah. been written off. And I sat down, I was one of the journalists who was lucky enough to go up to a suite with her shortly after it was confirmed that Jasmine Dean House, and I sat down, I was like, you know, first of all, just congratulations. You've had a, a, a fair amount of shit thrown at you, you know, mm. even from, from myself as well. But you cannot deny you've brought the Saudis to the table and you've you've got the deal done. So, so well done for that. And going forward, I mean, they're on a little bit of a probationary period. We can't deny that. I think the Saudis are looking in. They've... Amanda, her husband, and, and the Rubens have, uh, have got the management contract, so to speak, and they will be very wary of that, and they've got to prove themselves capable of, of running this football club. So these are big decisions they're making. The first one, getting well, the first one overturning my ban, absolutely brilliant decision. <laughs> uh, that was the only thing they achieved. In so the far, so good. Uh, <laughs> I say that jokingly, but yeah, they did overturn the ban straight away, which was which was good. You know, they didn't agree with that whatsoever. They had been looking in from afar. And, and and didn't think that was right, uh, you know. Hence the fact that I was one of the journalists who got a, an audience with her, which was very grateful for. Uh, and uh, and yeah, they've got rid of Steve Bruce as the as the first big major decision, and let's see where they where they go from here. Well said, and mean to touch on the takeover a little bit more. It must <laughs> it must make the football club in terms of your job and covering the club a hell of a lot more interesting than the Bruce Ashley Charnley mm-hmm. reign. What I'll say is it's a it's a different type of excitement probably to what you guys are feeling. For me, it is as a as a journalist, it's it's wow. This is a story to me, and it always will be a story. You know, I'm, I'm a journalist. That's what I trade in. And what journalist wouldn't be over the moon about potentially the richest football club in the world landing on his doorstep? You know, for good or for bad, going forward, even if this is a car crash off, this is wonderful. I'm going to get plenty of column inches out of this. Not limitedly, I'm a bit of a selfish soul in that respect. I just want to see my, my name in the paper. But does it? do I get more column inches and do I get more exposure if the football team I'm covering on my doorstep is doing well? Then absolutely. And ter- certainly in terms of what this takeover can do within the confines of a football pitch, I'm absolutely excited. Yeah, well said. I think, and we'll touch on this before again, um, it's just interesting again, isn't it? Under Bruce... Bruce in particular, Ashley, but Bruce as well, Bruce under Ashley, you just knew what was coming. You knew what the performances were going to be like. You knew what the subs were going to be. Mm. You knew you knew generally what the team selections were going to be. They were going to be mental. There was going to be changes, but not <laughs> changes where they needed to be made. So I'm just I'm just excited for the future. Like me and you spoke earlier on the phone Saturday, 
it's a massive game, isn't it? It's 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 a chance for so many players. It's a chance for Graham Jones. It's a chance for the football club to kind of move on, probably move on from the Ashley era because I know Charlie's still there, and who cares about the coaches really? But in terms of Bruce going, he you know Bruce was we would say as fans an apologist for Ashley. He didn't go after him. He apart from a little bit of stuff after the transfer window this time, he was very much in the Mike. Mike's a good guy camp. Mike's been great for me camp. Well, now now they're all gone. Now Bruce is gone. It finally feels like we can move on. And I agree with you. Sunday should have been the first day of that. But mm. as long as we stay up this season, you know, we'll look back and I'm sure we won't be talking about these things, about whether he was here for the first game or the second game. Mm. In in terms of, you know, the survival of the season as well, you said Saturday's a chance for, for whatever else, but Saturday's a chance to get some points. And I've spoken to one or two uh, <coughs> around the consortium tonight and I've included this from my copy tomorrow. But, you know, part of the, the, the motivation to accelerate this through in the wake of Sunday was... They genuinely feared that when Bruce was in charge, they might not pick up another point. They couldn't yeah. see, oh, yeah. based yeah, on that performance, they thought the players. Well, God, they thought we thought everyone thought. Mm. Probably even Steve Bruce thought yeah. the, player, the, player, <laughs> the, the players had gone. So on Sunday, uh, a couple of the Saudi comms guys came down to the, the press box afterwards and we stood talking. And I made the point to them. I said, "Listen, I said this was almost perfect for you guys." I said, "The first ten minutes before kickoff in the scenes we had in the in the stadium and the reception for for Yasser." Coupled with the first 10 minutes of the match, taking the lead, the noise in the ground, that was the perfect vignette for you guys. This is what the football club can be. This is what the football club should be. The remaining 80 minutes told you guys exactly where this football club is at. And they nodded along in, in agreement, really. And I think it was, I think in many ways, that was the, the perfect little snapshot for them in terms of what, what it can be, where it should go, and what needs to be done. And certainly the events of Sunday accelerated events of this week in terms of changing the manager. Yeah, I'm definitely pleased we were able to show the atmosphere around the ground in the couple of hours before, and then the atmosphere in the ground in the ten, like you say, ten minutes before, and then ten first ten minutes of the game. I'm glad we were able to sort of muster that and and really show how loud and how big St James's Park can be because it was it was also something that I think they needed, but fans needed as well to to remember and to remember what it's like to really get like behind the football club and to clap and shout and mm. cry and it was it was cathartic in a lot of ways yeah do you think Craig that uh, his excellency came across he's traveled from New York to not a not a short trip to watch Steve Bruce sides play do you think that the the Saudis as we call them are going to be crucial in terms of a new appointment of a manager or is that being left to the British based people it's been left to the British based people to to drive the recruitment process. I think they'll ultimately have final sign off. I certainly want to be consulted. But you've got a guy called Frank McPartland working behind the scenes, the former Liverpool chief scout, who's not yet officially employed by the club, but he's a football advisor. Uh, I can I can tell you now there was discussions today. Frank wasn't on the call, but uh, certainly members of the consortium were on the call. There was more discussions with Paolo Fonseca today. Uh, there was discussions with him last week, more informal. Today was more a, a formal process, talking about football and talking about ideas. So he is absolutely one of the names in there. Uh, I'm giving away all my stories from tomorrow's <laughs> paper now. What time are you putting this out? Make, make it half ten, embargo, half ten. Uh, yeah, uh, Roberto Martinez is a name who they've talked to, and I know he's interested. Uh, I believe his buyout clause from Belgium is about £2 million, which would be affordable. Uh, other names now Lucien Favre was, was mentioned certainly around the hotel in the first few days it's one which has never been denied I, I don't know if there's definitely been firm contact there but Lucien Favre is another one 
Uh, Rudy Garcia, the former Leon boss, was a name which came to me over the weekend. There's an outside shout from a strong source saying, listen, there is there is definitely something there. Uh, Eddie Howe, now there's one or two admirers of Eddie Howe within the consortium. Based on information I've got today, I would be surprised if it was Eddie Howe. I think the reason being that they know that Eddie Howe would have been the appointment if Steve Bruce had gone under Mike Ashley. I think there's a feel of among one or two of maybe we need to be a little bit more ambitious for this, if this is our appointment, rather than appointing who the last regime would have done. Uh, I'm thinking back to my newspaper now. What are the names that I put in there? It still uh, feels weird to have owners that are thinking more ambitiously. <laughs> that, that feels strange. Uh, who else is that? Uh, I mean, Gerard obviously <laughs> clearly wants it, I think, but... Uh, oh, has that gone again? That's the battery. No, no, but you're still on, so we're always. It's oh, a okay. Charlotte. Uh, you can cut this, can't you? Yeah. Go to Gerard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Stephen Gerard clearly wants it, judging by his comments. Uh, Frank Lampard is another who do. Uh, sources say it would be... Uh, God, I'm talking how I write and how sources <laughs> say it. Say, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> sources say uh, those would be, quote, probably unlikely. Uh, so I think my feeling is it will be a, a, a manager who's currently out of work, one who is available and probably perhaps foreign. But what they are stressing is they want someone who is fundamentally a good coach because what they're going to have to work with this season, primarily is the players who are already in situ, and even January isn't going to be a mass overhaul. So they want somebody who can come in and work with the players immediately and bring about improvement. Because one thing they've identified, this is from speaking to people around it, and I think they've spoken to one or two of the players, is that they don't think they were getting enough out of themselves on the training ground as they did under Rafa. I mean... Again, giving away my lines for, for tomorrow's paper, but, you know, I've written in tomorrow's paper that, you know, Steve Bruce inherited a defensive wall and has left the day with a pile of bricks. Uh, <laughs> and it feels like over the course of the past two years, he has unpicked that legacy really bit by bit. I mean, he thought the players were were brainwashed by Rafa, but they were brainwashed for a reason, really. And we, we now know why when you've seen the shambles that is the defence this season. Brilliant, Craig. Thanks so much for coming in. It's been brilliant to speak to you, mate. And uh, onwards and upwards from here. You're going to Palace on Saturday, I think you told me. Uh, first game of the post, Steve Bruce. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I am, yeah. And uh, I don't know if we touched on this before. God, I've done so much talking today. I'm forgetting what I've even <laughs> said. But uh, about staying up, and please inter- inter- interrupt you. I did say this before, but you know, there's 30 games remaining this season, and Newcastle have got three points. And this was something which was touched on by Monday Night Football. Newcastle haven't yet played Liverpool, Chelsea and Man City. That is six matches this team will probably get zero to one points from. So automatically, you're potentially working from a 24-game season to get 37 points. Now, this side just don't do that ratio. So already, on the basis of the points lost this season against points they should have won is the point I'm making. You know, you've got three yeah. points after eight games. Teams have survived for that before, but not when you look back at the winnable games and the, the points they've lost. I think already there is no way this team isn't going to be in a, in a relegation battle. Now, that's that's not to excuse, say, to excuse Steve Bruce and say it was always inevitable because I, I, I don't think it was. I've always maintained that that group of players, there's enough talent in there, there's enough spirit and there's enough professionalism for them to be far better than what they currently are. And that is the major frustration within the dressing room. And I think, you know, judging by the stories I've written consistently over the past couple of years that, you know, I do talk to people who are very close to it and around it. And they really wanted a change of manager. I can't speak for all the players, but I can certainly speak for a, for a significant number. And as, as one source said to me before, you know, St. Maximum posted something on social media today, but someone close to it said, 
That's one player out of 25. They've all got social media accounts. Yeah. You know, he said the overriding emotion amongst the squad was one of one of relief. They really did want this change. And I suppose that bookends our podcast because we started it talking about relief and we'll finish it talking about relief. I think today is a day of relief for for everyone. I think that is for, for us as journalists, journalists who were against him, journalists who are pro-Steve Bruce, relief. Supporters, relief. Players, relief. Everyone, relief. Steve Bruce, relief. That this was just a period which couldn't go on. It was unsavoury, it was unsightly, it was unseemly, it was toxic, it was just not very nice at all to be in the midst of. And I genuinely wish Steve Bruce and his, and his family, I do wish them he's all the best. Man. Because yeah. I think, uh, I think come the end, it wasn't very nice for them either. Well said. Thank you so much, Craig. Thanks for everyone for listening to the True Faith Podcast. We'll be back Sunday after Crystal Palace. Hopefully a good result. Speak to you all then. Bye-bye. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com